Welcome to our space where talking about the inspiring things with inspiring people is what inspires us. Waiting for you here are the infinite possibilities that creation, collaboration and connection have to offer. A universe where we see everything through roasting the spectacles that help us to keep our faith in the power of imagination alive and well. Let's talk. Welcome to Medralla Rosa. Today we have a very special guest. He is a superb wine expert, the author of four books, the presenter of A Glass With, the podcast that drinks with the stars. That's the slogan of the show, of course. He also writes for many newspapers and magazines about wine. I'm not going to mention all of them because you are going to be very bored by the end of it. He is a favorite guest in many TV shows when it comes to talk about wine, especially a regular of BBC's One, I think. Cheers, BBC One. <laughs> yeah, cheers. Saturday Kitchen. And he is also a lovely man. So, very, very welcome. Thank All you. Smith I'm so pleased to be here. I'm super excited. <laughs> this is the loveliest thing that's happened to me literally all year. This is great. Uh, thank you so Pleasure. much for saying that and for being here and for being so ready to open about Always. stuff. Um, in his late book, latest book, Feast, which is a book about recipes of cocktails, there's a phrase that I would like to quote. Oh, what, what I, think said. I think it's great to start this conversation. I think your glasses are amazing. <laughs> Can I just say this is superb? It says sparkles yes. are shortcuts to joyful moments. Yes, I think that's true. And it's to me, it sounds like a philosophical statement. I, do, I yeah, I think the world needs a little more, you know, love and and fun and for people to connect with each other. And while I've always felt that wine delivers that, things that fizz really bring the party. And they bring that sense of, I'm not at work, I'm having fun, I'm with the people that I love, let's go bananas and enjoy life for what it is. It's a dream. Do you think that the physical sensation, the sound, the visual part of uh, things uh, connects with that sense of vibrancy. 100%. I've always said that I would answer my telephone a hundred times more if it was the sound of a champagne cork coming out of a bottle. Uh, it's true. I would visit the text message I'd be like, oh, I would read that. It's excitement and it's anticipation and it makes you feel, you know, alive again. It's all of that energy cooped mm. up inside a bottle and when you release it, it's a physical thing. It's a textural thing, the sparkles, you can feel them, uh, but also it's a flavour thing. It actually has a really crisp, invigorating effect on and, and it makes you feel like it's very, it, it's a moment that is going to go. Yes. It's not going to last much. I love much. that. Yeah. That's absolutely right. And I think in life, you know, you do what you can with what you've got where you are, but never more so than when you've got a glass of fizz in your hand. You make the most of it. Yes. And, and you're right. It's a, an ephemeral, fast, beautiful moment, but That's it somehow feels more intense, you know, more alive. So um, if I can make any moment a little more joyful, a little more enriching, or, you know, you can find something out about life, you know, just reach a little deeper. I'm always up for that stuff because I think that's what life's all about. Go as far and as deep as you can. Exactly. Becoming a, a wine expert. Yeah, that was a surprise. But <laughs> <laughs> I cannot imagine someone very good at doing that without being very good with words. Very good at describing things and have a huge vocabulary and a huge 
connection with words. How how do you feel about that? I think I think there's some truth in that. I mean, when I grew up, my my mum was a nurse and my dad was a teacher, and so there was music in the house, and that I think played oddly a big part in my love of language because of sound and you know just things just appearing a little different to what I knew. So I was always interested in the next thing, the next sound, the next phrase, the next, you know, the next word. So I became really fascinated by that. And as I grew up, my brother and I were completely obsessed with the movies, with TVs, with scripts. I think my parents realised that Will and I were a little bit different to the other kids. When we came out of the cinema, I think I was probably about eight and Will was about ten. And during the course of a particular movie we'd seen, we'd pretty much memorised the whole script and then performed the movie in the back of the car So having a good memory is a huge That's part huge, of it. Definitely. And, and my brother actually now writes um, scripts for, for movies for TV. He's won two Emmys, you know, doing it. He writes Veep and The Thick of It. So he works a lot with HBO. And, and, and from those beginnings, you know, I, I'm so proud of him. And I think what he's done is amazing. But I think we both do share at the root of what we do, an absolute passion for language mm -hmm. and for communication, because mm -hmm. it's really important, I think, in any in anything in life, but particularly with wine. Actually, as an expert, I've always felt that um, my job really is to listen to other people. You know, if you tell me your favourite flavours, your favourite, you know, things that you, textures that you like, you know, I can then find you a wine that you'll revel in and delight yeah. in, and then I can kind of set you on a path. But, you know, in the same way that we all have different favourite movies or bands or anything of that nature, it's exactly the same with flavour. So to connect, to listen, and then to describe, I think those are really, really cool. And wine should be fun. It should you be... feel very grateful when you find something that is especially yes. Yes. perfect for the other person. And it, it was just because you were paying attention of what that person liked or... That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And when I was before, I mean, I started in wine actually delivering boxes. And I was always fascinated, you know, I was about 17, 18, and I was looking at the words on the boxes thinking, wow, it's not just about flavour, it's about travel, it's about stories and mm. places and people. And I remember seeing Rioja. What is wow. Rioja? Actually, I think I might have said Rioja. What is that? You know, where is it? Where does it come from? And then you find out, wow, it's a place, they have these traditions, the flavours taste like this, they make it like this for a particular reason, and wow, it just made me feel like I could travel the world one sip at a time. And I kind of took a detour and I ended up I ended up writing cartoon scripts for TV and for movies a bit. I saw that. Yeah, it's an unlikely segue, but it's true. It's something true. in Spanish. Yeah, I did, uh, yeah, I did do some Spanish stuff as well. I actually lived in Chile for, for a little while making a, a documentary and that was just sensational. Oh, I mean, wow. I just feel supremely lucky actually that I've had all these chances in life to, to kind of visit places to to find out about them. And then really the, the whole game for me is to take that information and excite other people about it. I feel like I'm a bee, just, you know, my job is basically to live for others, to go out and pollinate it's the world. It's a little frustrating when people invite you to shows or, and they only want to talk about wine because it seems yeah. like you have a lot to say also about many other, many other stuff. It's, it's a really interesting question because I, I feel very passionately about wine and I love, um, I love the effect of it, I love the flavour of it, I love that you relax, you, you know, engage more deeply in conversation, you enjoy some good food, but definitely I think um, the world is a, an extraordinary place, especially currently, you know, we live in a time where it, sometimes it's difficult to see what's real from what isn't, from the truth from the lies, mm -hmm. and I think that this is also quite an interesting time to engage with language, communication, our values for one another, 
how we can live you know for one another in a, in a more coherent way so i do think there's kind of a lot bubbling underneath the surface as well as my my great passion for celebrating i, I cannot the great imagine things. a wine expert that is not interested at the same time in other countries other cultures uh, traveling industrial process yep. many 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 things including beauty poetry arts how did you start it well it was it, it's a great question because growing up i mentioned mum and dad uh, they didn't drink you know not at all it was a celebratory thing for maybe christmas maybe easter there'd be a bottle of red but wine but very little but very little yeah. yeah i mean they were just i mean now you can't stop them they can't get enough of the stuff <laughs> But when I was a, I know it's totally, it is, but that's something lovely about it, it's like across the generations, you know, my, my grandparents, when they were alive, I would share a drink with them, you know, and my kids now are teenagers and I can see there'll be a time when we'll be enjoying life together in that way. Um, but it, it started really from literally delivering boxes. And I know, what I noticed was I noticed that people were buying wine for different reasons. And at the time in, in Britain, wine was spoken about in quite, a, quite an odd way. And it, you were almost made to feel like it wasn't really for you. It's just for a certain type of person. There was a bit of a snobbery about it. And I, I didn't understand that because I just thought, look, it's a, it's a way of preserving fruit and it tastes great and you ferment it. And then, you know, the farmers and the people who make this stuff, they want to share it with everyone. They have harvest parties. You know, it's, a, it's an intelligent way of you know, using your fruit for many, many months. Wines, they're enthralling and difficult in many ways. But one of the things I love most about them is they can live longer than we do. And so you can span wow, yeah, that's generations. Amazing. Yeah, and I've tasted wines from, the oldest I've tasted is down from 1805. You know, wow. And you suddenly realise you're tasting a liquid that was in the ether, in the sky and in the sun and in the rain. It, it literally takes you to yeah. another time? Physically, you take another time into your body. And, you know, for years, you know, you know about the purpose of wine and religion and all the rest of it. Taking something physically into yourself yeah. is really fascinating, you know, because it... On a cellular level, it becomes you. Literally, you take it on. So there's a little bit of 1805 in me. But then, you know, by the same token, we've always been around. We're made of the stuff the universe is made of. So we're all, you know, made of made of ancient stuff. But it, it's thrilling to have a direct through line, in that instance, to a time when the Battle of Trafalgar was happening, which, you know, if you do, we're here in London, you know, in, in this Trafalgar Square, and there's Nelson, you know, he was... He was killed in this battle and yeah. I've enjoyed and some liquid from, from that time. I mean it, it's extraordinary. extraordinary. It is. Mm. It is. Um, do you need a special conservation I guess to, to, to keep bottles like those? Well it's, it's nature so on, on its side if the cork remains intact the humidity is right and the temperature is nice and even and it's in a cool dark place it can live That's you know enough. certain wines okay. can live a long time and actually things like brandies and sweet wines and ports Madeira in particular you know, you can taste back through time. And here's the really interesting part. They don't actually cost as much as you might think because they're not trendy. They're not uh, in vogue. And I think a lot of people would imagine it's quite risky to drink something that old. So there's some really good websites, you know, you can go to. There's one called Brandy Classics. Uh, I think it's .co.uk. They have a really wonderful old library of brandies stretching back hundreds of years. And if you go to the island of Madeira, that, I mean, it's a really fascinating place anyway because it feels... You know, slightly European, slightly uh, sort of tropical. There's banana trees, there's butterflies, there's oak trees. It's warm, but the you know humid, but also quite rainy. Um, and you get this kind of magical synergy of things. And they create a fortified wine there that literally, it's pretty bulletproof because it's oxidised during its process of being made. So you could open a bottle of that, leave it on the side, 
and it would be fine for years and years and years. Really? So, yeah, it's, it's, but they hate me saying that because, you know, you only need one bottle for life. Yeah. But, you know, if you put a bottle of that as a gift to someone and they can keep it for, I mean, as long as you for need it. For very long. Yeah, and, and it's, you can taste this, you know, it is in the world. The easiest way is obviously if you're in Madeira, but if you're not, you know, they export and it's, oh, it's a treat. I have the impression, maybe I'm wrong, that you have a strong connection with Spain. Yeah, I love Spain. I love, so my, my wife Sophie, uh, she, uh, she's always been into languages and I, I learned when I was growing up a little a bit French and a little bit of German and then I went and lived in Indonesia volunteering to be a teacher for a while so I spoke a bit of Bahasa Indonesia and then Spain came along when my wife for her university um, year went and lived in Sevilla in Spain oh, wow. and I'd never really been and I fell in love with obviously Sherry and Jerez and the language you know La Fiesta and I was there actually at Easter oh the first time I was introduced to Manzanilla and I remember looking down the street and it was the uh, Semana Santa the Holy Week mm -hmm. and they, they were in their kind of costumes and it's a you know kind of a strange build-up to this great party but I noticed everyone at the party was drinking this Something clear, <laughs> small liquid, and you know they didn't seem to be misbehaving. They didn't seem to be too intoxicated. On the contrary, they seemed to be having literally the best time of their life. And I thought this must be Something the greatest drink. Yeah, this must be the best drink in the world. And I remember tasting Manzanilla for the first time, and I, I just thought this is so cool. You know, it's it's cruising altitude without the need for takeoff. You're just there straight away. Quite a powerful flavour, saline, bright, intense, bold. I mean, if you like green olives, this is the drink for you. It tastes, it's wine's answer to a dry martini. It's cold, it's invigorating, it's full of energy, and wow. Sounds a bit like tequila. Yeah, yeah the it's right. <laughs> I also, oh, I love tequila. I was visiting, um, I went to Mexico, actually, and I remember tasting... Are they you know, good in wines? Actually, I, I, there, are, there were some from, um, from Baja California, which I had, which were, yeah, they were actually, they're very saline. I, I think there's a rising salt level there in the vineyards that might contribute to that but they are quite salty even the reds but actually with the food and in the place i was quite impressed with with the yeah Mexican ab wine absolutely because it's something you don't absolutely. really know you don't internationally. See a lot of, and, and same with uh, peru i had a uh, i was on a cruise ship i have some wine bars on cruise ships and one of the passengers arrived on board and he said oh ollie my son has visited peru he has this give me this bottle of malbec from peru i just would be interested in your opinion I said, oh, wow, I've never tasted a wine from Peru. This is fantastic. So Mr. Mills pours out the red wine. Honestly, I was blown away. Uh, it was from Interpalca. Really? Yeah. And you, you didn't expect it? it I had no idea what to that. expect. And I was thrilled by it. And I said, you know what, Mr. Mills? I'm going to get this wine imported to the UK and I'm going to get it listed in my Glasshouse wine bars on board P&O Cruises. And he looked at me and he said, I don't believe you. It's never going to happen. I did it six months later and it's still in there now. And it's one of the great success stories of the bars. And the passengers love it because it's a true story. He brought his wine on board. His wow. son got it from Peru. He kindly opened it for me. I loved it. And, and I want to share it with this great. <laughs> and last weekend, I saw the same guy actually in Manchester at a wine festival. And he came and brought me a Carmener from Peru. Another one. Oh, and it. guess what? It was really good. So my wine dealer so... from Peru, Mr. Mills, I'm going to have to do it again and list it. And now yeah. you need to go there. I do. There's a saying that is quite... It's like a preconception we all have about being connected with the creative process and being productive. Yeah. And it's to believe that you produce your best when you are in pain. So I'm, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm very curious about how do you relate with something like that? Because you seem to be absolutely mm -hmm. vibrant, happy, joyful, playful. 
and very productive as well. <laughs> it's true. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I try. Um, I, I think there is truth in that. I think that there's no doubt that that what um, you know what you experience in life um, on any scale, whether it's a joyful one or a painful one, will will change you. It will uh, how you react to it. I think will determine ultimately whether it was going to be a useful experience or not. And I think there's two ways of looking at it. If you're on the highway and your car breaks down, you can either start getting cross about it and get out of the car and scream at the skies, or you can think, well, this will make a great story to tell, you know, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna engage with someone new, I'm gonna call a pickup truck and maybe there'll be a nice restaurant nearby. And I think anything, any setback, however minor, I think you, you, there's a way of, 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 of using it actually to be an instructive process. And I do try and do that. I think it's, a, it's a, for me, it's been a really useful way of dealing with, you know, even, you know, major tragic events in life, you know, which we all go through. Yeah. I think the important thing is to, is to try and think, well, okay, you know, this is a terrible situation. However, you know, it is what it is. Let's try and do what we can with what we've got where we are and build on that and take it forward. But no life is pain-free. And I think the way that you... Or, that anyone deals with pain, um, you know, for a start, we need to be there for each other. That's the most important thing. I, th I just, you know, I'm so proud of my, my two kids. They're lovely girls. But one thing in life I've really noticed about them is that they're, they're incredibly caring about not just themselves, but the environment around them. And I, I think that is, that is one of the things that um, I, think, I think is just something I'd love to see more of in the world. So pain, I, I think, absolutely can be as, as instructive and as good a tutor as, as the most joyful experience. Is it good for your poetry? Yes, definitely. <laughs> my poetry, so sometimes I, I'm a terrible poet, really, but I do write a lot of poetry. But sometimes I write something about something really boring. Like I was on holiday uh, and I was having a really nice time. I woke up really early and it was one of those moments and you're kind of shambling around, you know, and I don't want to put a hideous image in your mind of me shambling around at a beach towel, but I was just having this kind of magical moment on a Greek island and the sun was coming up and it was really quiet. But all I could hear was this extraordinary conversation across the valley between a rooster who was really trying to have his moment. You know, he was like, this is my dawn. I will sing. The song is coming. And then this little puppy on the other side of the valley was going, I want to join in. I want to sing. And the rooster kept going, will you please be quiet? This is my moment. And I do this every day. And every day we had this conversation. And it was hilarious. And then the pool pump started joining in. And I just thought, this is so funny. And it was also quite magical because it made the present moment so it, bizarrely even it felt even more present because everyone else was joining in so I, I just loved that so I read about that which was a silly one um, but yeah I do write poetry I think I think anything that um, kind of it's more good. like a narrative poetry when you you look at the external world or do you talk a lot about your own experiences and feelings it's a really good question. I'd say definitely both. Um, I, I've written about, you know, I've written some quite sad poems as well when I see, you know, I mean, the, the world is a, at the moment, it's an incredibly hectic and challenging yeah. environment. And for, painful sometimes. Very painful for, for all too many people, sadly, you know, and, and, and I think it's, if you, if you engage with your, if you're true to your, you know, your empathy is, is what we've got as humans, right? We, we, we can empathise with each other. If you, if you engage with that, then um, I think any kind of, poem, conversation, moment, whatever it is, you know, you're going you're gonna to reflect some of that. So yes, I do inevitably write, you know, some quite sad poetry as well. Mm, well but mainly it's <laughs> We can leave that for later. Yeah, well, you know, I'll put more. some on the website. Look. I'll send you some and you can, you can print but it But talking about a painful world and or, or the pains that the world is going through, yeah. is, it the, is there an ecological way to approach the wine industry? Yes, absolutely. I think that any... 
uh, industry that is involved with agriculture should do as much as they can to have least intervention as possible. So, you know, I appreciate we've lived through a massive industrial time in the 60s and 70s where the use of pesticides and herbicides and all sorts of chemicals throughout the process was, it wasn't so much fashionable, it was almost forced upon the whole situation because, you know, great big companies are telling you, you need this, you can be more productive. And then you get hooked into a system where you have to buy the fertilizer and you have to buy the pesticide and you're in a certain system and it can be hard then to see something beyond it. But I've been really encouraged by so many people producing wines without any kind of intervention whatsoever, whether it's a natural wine, an organic wine or a biodynamic wine. What's the difference between natural and organic? It's a good question. So natural wines, you would literally add nothing. So there's no yeast added, it's just the grapes from the place, there's no spraying. So from an ecological point of view, is the best one to consume? I would say so, yeah. And organic wine, similarly, biodynamic wine is organic, uh, so they can use certain things, like I think they can spray. Organic, I think they're allowed to use sulfur to spray occasionally. Okay. Um, but, but I think it, it, biodynamic certainly is, is not just organic, but it is organic and it's harvesting in the cycles of the moon and the oceans, okay. which sounds a little kooky, but actually, if you think about any liquid... Sounds witchy. It is a bit, yeah. <laughs> so they do funny things, like they do fill horns with all sorts of things and bury them. But, uh, that's the one I'm going to buy. Yeah, but it's, <laughs> yes, but witchy is good, because in this case, if you think about liquids, the effect of the moon on the tide, yeah, you know, it pulls and pushes it everywhere. So if you have liquid in a barrel, it's the same with wine, or sap in a vine going up and down. So they prune and harvest and make wine at certain times in, in the, according to that particular cycle. So I, I'm fascinated by it. I, know, I would say, you know, some of the world's most expensive wines follow biodynamic principles, like um, Domaine de la Romanie Conti, which is you know, hugely expensive, very, very high status Pinot Noir from Burgundy. But they don't really shout about it. It's just what they, they do. They just do it. And yeah. more and more people are. And are it doing affects it. positively the quality and the flavors. I think I would say, yeah, if you'd asked me that five years ago, I would have hedged my bets and said, I think that you know, by and large, the quality is better, but but it's probably because they're reacting before something happens. If you see what I mean, there, you know, before there's a problem with mildew, they've already paid attention in the vineyard closely. Yeah. But now I'm going to say, actually, yeah, I do think that they taste really good on the whole. I think I would back biodynamic wines, organic wines, and actually natural wines, you know, there's some bottle variation because they don't use any sulfur to preserve the wine in the bottle. So inevitably there are some differences, but I think what they're doing is reclaiming wine's sense of vibrancy, its sense of, um, you know, its sense of place, you know, and ultimately I think their mission is is a good one. Um, and I, I would like to see throughout the whole of the wine trade, you know, just, if we can be more friendly to the environment, that's just good for us in the long term. It's good for the planet, it's good for us. So I'd like to see more of that. Are you in love with the production of uh, wine in, in United Kingdom? Do you, are you very connected? Are you interested in that yeah. particular area? Would you like to become a winemaker? Oh, I love that. Um, I do, well, I grow in my garden. I'm a gardener. I love, I love, I keep bees and I grow fruit trees. And last, we had an amazing summer in 2018. So normally in the UK, <laughs> you, yeah, and it's literally, we have to count the good you summers on like one, seriously. <laughs> I mean, we're not going to show you outside, but it's it's nothing like these lovely pink blinds, I'm telling you. Um, it's um, it's one of those things that 2018 was really good. And was very sunny. Sunny, sunny. So, you know, normally we produce like 5 million bottles. And in 2018, we produced 15 million bottles, which is huge. And it suddenly shows that not only is it viable, 
The stuff in the bottle tastes amazing. There's more of it to sell. The prices are coming down a bit and people are loving the flavors. Yeah. So we have this tradition going back to Roman times actually, but you know, there's no two ways about it. The UK is a marginal climate. We're very maritime. We have a lot of wetness. We have a lot of moisture and that's not generally speaking fantastic for vines. However, what it is fantastic for is for making really sharply defined sparkling wine, especially. So if you think of all the great kind of fizz in the world, whether it's champagne or traditional method from South Africa or wherever it is, they have in common this kind of, you know, this sense of celebration, the bubbles and all the rest of it. But what English wine and wine from Great Britain has is real zestiness. So when you taste one, it's got even more kind of lift, even more zip, and it just feels like the perfect aperitif. And it's clean, it's pure, it's precise. It is beautiful and slightly, very slightly lower in alcohol. Sparkling wines Sparkling are good. Wine. I think they're amazing. And the still wines also, I think, are very good. You know? And they have that quality that you are... Vibrancy, you are real vibrancy. Smiling. Yeah, so if you're a fan of flavours like, you know, lime in your, in, your, in your mezcal or in your tequila, that sharp, zesty, that is exactly what our wines deliver. Really. Where do you recommend to do uh, wine tourism in? In the UK. Yes. Oh, there's so many. So I would say come to my garden where I have. I've only got six vines. <laughs> but, but, I, but I. Coming you, back to the winemaker thing, are you gonna make some I, wine? So this summer, I planted them a couple of years ago because I think it's really important in any, you know, in any kind of uh, game, in any job, to to really kind of believe it. And and I, you know, I, I talk about people growing wine and what it might be like. And I thought, you know what? I, I'm gonna, I, I'm yeah, a, yeah. I, I need to know what it feels like. If your crop is, doesn't work and you've been working all year and you don't get a harvest and you know at the end of the year basically your boss is saying, hey, you turned up for work every day this year, you worked really hard, but we're not going to pay you. You know, that's how devastating a poor crop can be. It is a difficult, and, and that connects somehow with that uh, phrase I, I quote before saying that only what, what is really painful brings the best of everything and the wine industry have a lot of that behind the whole process. It's, uh, it can be very devastating as you are uh, explaining. It, it really can and, and it's heartbreaking when you see, you know, that, I mean traditions have evolved to cope with it better like blending wine so they ripen at different times the different grapes mm. so they plant them kind of as an insurance policy but in my little vineyard of six this year we had a good crop so me and the family, we, we harvested oh, the berries nice. and we crushed it with our little hands. It wasn't very much, so it wasn't even foot training. It was just in a big bowl in the kitchen. And it was a natural wine. We just left it with the yeast on, on the skins and the pips and left it to do its thing. And okay. it fermented out. And then after about two weeks, I put it in the fridge to just shut down the fermentation and uh, get rid of the yeast and then filtered it through a tea strainer into a bottle, into a flask like this. And we drank it there and then, like a raw wine. And I remember, <laughs> I remember my wife looking at me as though I was about to drink a chalice of poison. She was so frightened. She was like, are you, are you gonna be okay? Are you okay? Like, Do fine. I have to call someone? Yeah, exactly. It tasted fantastic. You know, really fruity, really, really great. You know, she loved it so much. She, she has a little wine group, you know, friends that get together and they, they taste wine. And, like a club. Yeah, and, and she took like a, a half bottle of it along and, and they, I got a lovely photograph later in the evening of them all just thrilled to taste a, a real kind of raw wine from that season, that fast. That was so full of fruit and energy and it was so uplifting. It was a wonderful crimson colour But you have well. to start thinking about I'd love to. bottles, yeah. <laughs> Do you know it's what gonna I'm your, It's going to have your name. <laughs> I just give it away though, because I do that with my honey. I just give, um, you know, I love to give it, you know, because it's a, it's a joyful thing, you know, a little, little taste of my place. Do you relate things that happen in your life with the wine you were drinking? Uh, oh, yeah. For example, 
If that's the case, which ones are your top five best wine memories? Oh, I've got that. <laughs> um, yes, I do. I really think that if you have any intense experience, you know, if you're you know, in an incredible place and the view is just so memorable, you will remember it for the rest of your life. And I think wine does do that. It does reach deeper. It's almost like throwing out a line when fishing and the goes down into the ocean. I think wine somehow does that in life. But I, yeah, I'll give you a couple. I mean, one of them was, uh, I'm really lucky. I, I, I managed to, um, I, I, was a pro I was producing some animations and cartoons and I met uh, Sir Roger Moore, the old actor who played mm -hmm. James Bond. Not that he's I old, know, though. I know, yeah, I yeah. know, he's, he's your friend. <laughs> well, yeah, this, uh, this, this kind of came about from an unlikely, an unlikely beginning, but we did, we did become friends. And um, I remember very distinctly uh, having lunch with him in Monaco, in the south of France, yeah, in, a, in its principality, um, pouring out Sancerre, this nice bright Sauvignon Blanc from northern France. And he was telling me this story, and I said, why do you like Sancerre, um, Rog? And he said, well, you know, I, I remember going through uh, the region on a holiday with Michael Caine and Leslie Bricousse and having the time of my life. And suddenly, uh, over a glass of wine, it's not just a glass of wine, you know, I'm hearing about a Hollywood legend telling me about a trip he took with other Hollywood legends and it's totally informal and interesting and fascinating just like you'd be telling me about you know what well, I popped down uh, the pub the other night yeah but then oh, you amazing. don't amazing. forget the name of that wine because it yeah. it, it helps you to connect perfectly yeah. with the situation it's exactly and right that probably and I, happened to all of us I think so and I, I think the thing that's lovely about it is that I, I then bought some of that wine to remember the moment and I bought six bottles of it and I, I know I have one left. And really? I, yeah, and I, I, I don't know, because I was very sad when he died, as I thought the world of him. He was a great um, actor and a really professional uh, person. And when I first met him, you know, he was my hero because of, you know, the James Bond, yeah. the Saints and the Persuaders. But then I met him, and within about 15 seconds of hearing him speak about uh, how he could use his profile to help people in the world with goiter or AIDS or to get education for for girls and for women and, and just all of the kind of, the, the whole slew of things that he was working with UNICEF mm -hmm. to, to try and address. He was my hero, but for very different reasons, but for the right reasons, you know, because he was a, a caring, truthful, deeply um, committed person to the, to the benefit of all. Mm -hmm. And I, I just fell in love, I just thought this is, that's, that's the whole point right there. So yeah. that wine is one of the, it, yeah. It's definitely in yeah. your top That's five, in my top five. best moments. Yeah. And any other? I would say, yes, one of my first ever wine trips was to Hungary and I tasted a wine called Tokai, which is a sweet wine. And I kind of, you know, generally speaking, sweet wines are very rich. They're very thick and they're very cloying and some people find them really like too much, just way too much, too intense. Too, too sweet? Yeah, too sweet, too thick and just, you know, a bit... Maybe after a meal, you know, you just think it's just too much. But I've always loved them because, you know, frankly, I'm quite greedy. And when I was a little boy, I remember I was on a camping holiday with my mum and dad. And one of my earliest memories is they foolishly left me with a jar of apricot jam and a spoon. And I remember sitting there thinking, this is absolutely amazing. <laughs> in a tent with a jar of jam and I couldn't be happier. And I remember tasting that wine in Hungary, that Tokai sweet wine. And it did exactly the Connecting same. Connecting those two. Yeah, and it just felt really happy. Wow. I just thought, this tastes like the apricot jam did when I was about three, just having the time of my life. Um, and it was also kind of magical because that corner of the world, not a lot of travellers go there, I don't think. And you've got these wonderful, mysterious old rivers, the Bodrog and the Tearsa River. And they, they flow through this wine region and, and they, the mists from them rise up 
through the vines and they create this kind of magical effect called noble rot which desiccates the vines it punctures them and makes them shrivel up so wow. they intensify and you get sweetness but also zing so it's two things at once in one wine and i was in this vineyard with this mist you know and this wonderful grapes and they were pressing the grapes in the vineyard just with the natural weight of the grapes in in the little containers and it was one of the greatest privileges of my life it, the free run juice is very thick it's literally like honey just so glossy, wow. so golden. And the winemaker said, here, you know, any little tiny glass, said, try, try a bit. Oh, my word, I've never forgotten that flavour. That was something else. The, um, yeah, it felt like just reaching into another dimension. Just, it was superb, just nothing more pure. And when you're in the place, I love Were it so you much. alone? Could you... I was with Laszlo, uh, the winemaker, who's a lovely man. Yeah, um, but I mean, you, it's a um, solitary experience. Oh, yeah. Somehow. Do you know, that's another really good point, because I'm super lucky in my job, and I adore nothing more than, than meeting people in other locations. But you're right, there's never... It's, Sometimes yeah, you I, are on your own. I'm usually on my own, but I'd love, somebody, yeah, yeah. I'd love somebody to be there, to, to share it with. I mean, it's... That's, but then you can tell the story. You can tell the story. And, and, you know, actually, I think that's another thing as life goes on, you know, and, and I'm realising I should probably start making a note of some of these stories because, as you know, as the time goes by, uh, I'll probably forget some of them. Yes. Or question whether they yeah. ever happened. No, some of them oh, oh, uh, is this true? Yeah. I'm making up this story. Yeah. That yeah. happened after a few years. I think so, yeah. Planet. Did I really have lunch with Roger Moore in Monaco? Did it happen? Yeah. Or was, was it a dream? Yeah, I know. I know. I mean, seriously, some of the things that have happened to me, I remember... I, one of my wine bars is on these, I mentioned the cruise ships, and Her Majesty the Queen was, was smashing a bottle, which I'd chosen this bottle, she smashed it against the ship, and then I'm standing on the ship, and the Queen comes along and starts saying hello to you, and you think, okay, this is so incredible, and beyond, you know, surreal. amazing. Surreal. So surreal. And she was wonderful, by the way, just to, because to, to, I know people will be thinking, what's she like? Mm. The first thing I thought was, what an incredible, you know, super connected person. Um, yeah, I, I had a, a really lovely conversation with her about, she was saying that she loved ships because she remembered that one of the first times she remembers smelling fresh bread was, I think, after the war. And she said it was on a ship and, it, you know, rations had been happening. And so she has that, had that strong association with something really lovely and positive. Um, but I just got the impression from her that she was super engaged and far from being somebody who lives in a palace and doesn't think about anyone else, I very much got the impression that the reverse is true, that she very much is of the people. Um, and I was, I was delighted by that. And um, what's the wine related with that story? Oh, with that one, well, it would be, that would be the Wiston Estates that we, um, yeah, an English wine that we christened Britannia, that wonderful ship with. And that was, again, a really lovely thing to be able to do because the cruise company said to me, you know, which champagne will we christen the ship with? And I said, well, hold on. The ship's called Britannia. You know, we're a great British company. The Queen's launching her. Let's and, use an English sparkling wine. And we have some wine. We have great wine. Yes, yeah, exactly. I, I So I was delighted to... Would you like to become some sort of um, um, crusader to... For English wine? To, yes. Absolutely. To present the British wines to the world or make them more respectable? Or, Absolutely. Uh, can, uh, can I say that? Yeah, totally. To make them more respectable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> but you know what? Yes, and you should come with me because we, we, we need to you know, connect with people. And, and, and I think the first thing to do is just to pour them a glass of it. Um, and I've done this, I was actually part of a, a trade mission over to China and I remember pouring these wines and the response people have the first time they taste them is super positive because it feels like they're on the inside track, you know, they, they know something, you know, quite new and almost exclusive, like almost a trade secret that these wines are no doubt, I mean, they're winning awards all over the world, so the quality is there, but they're also 
they're really pleasing and they are delightful. And because there's not a lot of it, you know, you can give something to your guests that maybe can't be replicated again. And, and mm. I like that so idea. So exclusive also. Exclusive. They have that yeah. quality as well. They do. They do. Uh, and, and because we don't have a huge production. Mm -hmm. So I've been collecting English wine since the year 2000, sparkling wine. And it have, it's the way it tr the years kind of translate and go through the bottles is magic. I mean, every year is different. And somebody once said to me, you know, every harvest, if you think of a harvest in a, in a vineyard, it's like a, a classic poem. And every year is like somebody else translating that classic poem in a different way. It's the same route, but it's just, you know, you would translate it different to me. And yeah. so the, the conditions give you something different. So I love that about the different years and comparing them. And, and with English sparkling wine, because our years are so different, you get quite a marked story every single time. And I think if you're into wine, that's fun because you can compare and contrast. And if you're new to wine, it's wonderful because you're having access yeah. to something that is just so special. Yeah, and it's kind of new somehow. It also. is the new frontier of flavour. So you feel less intimidated Absolutely. by the, 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 the weight of the story behind and all yes. you should know and you don't. Yes, <laughs> that's so... Actually, that is, do you know what? I don't think that, that, that we've really engaged with that seriously enough because at the UK wine trade, that is a, you're right, that's a huge benefit. It's very fresh. It's super fresh. It makes fresh. everyone feel included. Yeah, and, and it can know. be whatever it is. And, you know, we do have this long tradition and it, I think... The, the English winemakers all claim that sparkling wine was invented in Britain. In, I think in the 1660s, there was a guy called Christopher Merritt who presented a paper to the Royal Society how to make wine brisk and sparkling was his thing. So it was before Dom Perignon, who is credited with creating sparkling wine. Actually, I think it was probably going on all over Europe. People were just adding some sugar into some liquid, putting the cork back in and letting it do its thing. I think it was probably known. But nonetheless, we do have this heritage. is isn't widely known. But I think you're right. This fresh new idea. Oh, I like that. I think, <laughs> but the, other thing, the other thing that bugs me about, um, about the English, well, great British wine, I think the quality is amazing. My one bugbear uh, is that there's too much French terminology on the label. And I don't know why. I and just think we have our own words. people feel very intimidated by the fact that not everyone relates with the words so well. Yeah. And also it's very difficult to remember many of the term terminology yeah. that makes you feel comfortable Absolutely. talking about something. And they all do it. They put Blanc de Blanc, Blanc de Noir, Brut. They do, it's use, uh, huge. And it's just like, guys, we can you say... You lost and then you, made you know what? Grapes. Forget Made of red grapes. <laughs> This is a dry spoken wine. Or we can find new terminology. We can look at that. And we can have a symposium to think and of it. And you, I've, English I'm people that. are great to create new words. We make them up all the time. Grammar. Yes, exactly. a grammar academy, yes. let's say. Grammar, yes. Well, it's yeah. true that we do make things academy. up and we splice things. And Yeah, you're and right. Talking about that, that connects me with an idea. Mm. I was, um, while researching to do your interview, I thought maybe if you do talks, in schools with young people, wouldn't that make um, this need of young people to just get drunk less, like like a less tendency of drinking just because I want to forget the war and drinking more because I'm connecting with a with something very special. And when you connect with something very special, you normally have a very different approach. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree that more. That would be interesting. I think, I think education is absolutely you know, vital. And I, one of my favourite wineries in the world is in southwest France, Saint-Mont. It's a cooperative. And uh, they don't just educate in the schools. They have a winery connected to a high school. So the kids can go and go to the winery, learn a trade, 
learn about how wine is made and therefore, as you say, demystify and take away the kind of the alcohol side of it mm -hmm. and introduce them to the heritage side of it, to the experiential side of it, to the side of it that actually enriches your life and, you know, with a meal or with great company, you know, that's what it should be. And I think there has been a tendency, certainly in my generation, when, when we hit 18, Suddenly you've got the keys to the drinks cabinet. Mm -hmm. Off you go. Well, there's my there's like it's rum. I feel you know? like it's still like that a bit. And I think that's a terrible way to learn about anything. Is you can't learn everything all at once. So I do think when it gets to a certain age, to educate, you know, teenage, certainly later age teenagers about the different strengths, about the different flavors, and that may also heritage. probably makes you to say, okay. Um, maybe we'll save instead of buying all this cheap wine I'm gonna buy this very special bottle but then you drink one bottle instead of being drinking yeah. 20 perfect or, yeah. or uh, I think to to have a, an approach to of wine related with schools like, like very educational yeah. would be really interesting to see in few generations you mm -hmm. can you can see a difference because it's not a secret for anyone that in countries like spain italy france that the connection with wine is in the table from all since always it's always with food they don't drink as much or, or they drink differently they drink in a different way and i think over a long, a long yeah. period as well uh, but you know i think there's so many, it seems to me, so many opportunities to, to reach out with that. You know, I live in Sussex in the UK, in the south of England, and there's a fantastic wine school called Plumpton College. And in my view, it's one of now the best educational places to learn to be a winemaker or to learn to work in the vineyard in the world. You know, there are some really good places around the world, so I don't say that lightly, but I think it is fantastic. Um, and I think if you were somebody who was, you know, at 16 thinking, I don't really want to do my A-levels, mm -hmm. it's not for me, or I'm not particularly interested in that, but I want a hands-on I want, to, I want to learn. Yeah. I think those opportunities within wine, but because of the age, you know, thing, it, I think it's something we have to have a discussion about. And I'm with you. I think education is always at the forefront of everything. You know, the, the mystery of the locked drinks cabinet is a terrible idea because sooner or later somebody's just going to bust in there at a party and go wild. And actually, that's not what it's about. It is, no. as you say, it's about heritage flavor. It's about finding the drinks you really like. You know, Geography, story, it's about science, your, you know, yeah, everything. Silence. Climate, you know, literally, you name it. Design with the labels. It's a wonderful world of extraordinary skills that all comes together. And it really comes alive when you finally open it, pour it, taste. I love that. It's great. What's a rule that you shouldn't forget ever? Oh, that's a about great question. Uh, do you know, no one's ever asked me that before, but that is a great question. Is there a rule? Is there a rule that you can't break? Maybe red, never. Uh, there are some reds that you shouldn't make on the fridge ever. Yeah, there's some of those, but I think if it's a light red, uh, if it's a you young could, light red, yeah, yeah like, chill. Like those but you're right, so that is probably a good rule. If it's a, yeah, absolutely. If it's an old aged red that's very savoury, I probably wouldn't chill it. So that's a good, that's probably a good rule. And something related with mix, for example, you know, oh, yeah, we, have this, we have that idea that you don't drink red with fish yeah yeah oh, again though lighter reds with a meaty fish like tuna go for it but there's one pairing that i always warn people about so you know if you really like like really spicy food and here in the uk there's this thing called a vindaloo curry which is basically like yeah. a nuclear detonation of deliciousness it's so so intense i mean it's one of those dishes people go out of their way and, well, have a vindaloo, and they get very excited so normally i'd be saying with spicy food you know, have a rich, round, quite fruity, almost sweet white, because spice always makes wine taste sharper. So if you do that, it'll be a good pairing. But 
But if you really like spice and you really want to go and break some rules, then find the most intense tannic, which is just the stuff that dries your mouth out, the stuff from the skins and pips and the grapes, so the really structured, really chewy red. Find the biggest one, like a Barolo from Italy or an enormous Shiraz, something like that, and pair it with a Vindaloo. It will double down the surface area of the spice with all of that structure, all of that chewy stuff, literally will make your head pop. And some people love it, you know, and it's one of those okay, things so, that I would never do so it. So that would be uh, against it's, the rule, but- It's against the rules, rule. but it's a detonation of deliciousness. If you want to go that far, that's, you know, you can go there, but I, I might come with you. And what's the biggest pee or, or the worst piece of bullshit you have heard oh, so from much. another expert, there's for example? so much. I mean, uh, where to begin? Um, oh, so somebody, somebody recently said, Oh, decanting wine is a complete myth. And I was just, I was just shocked. I, and I, I'm pretty sure that it was only said to get attention. Because the, the fact is, if you pour from a glass, uh, from a bottle into a glass, it aerates the wine. Yeah. And it's a bit like if you imagine a rose in springtime, you know, it's beautiful, it's like that. But if you imagine it a few weeks later in summer, the petals come out, you can smell it more, it looks beautiful, it's giving you far more. So if you pour it into a jug and then into a glass, it's like turning the volume up on the wine. It's like turning it up and allowing everything. It's been cooped up in that bottle. It's allowing its full expression. And if you just pour it, one way to do it for test for yourself, pour yeah. some straight into a glass from the bottle. Pour the rest of the bottle into a jug, pour it into another glass. Compare the two. This one could be perfectly nice, just a bit closed. This one, much more. And it's free. You don't need a special fancy decanter. You can buy them from my website if you wish. But any old jug will do. You could use literally the shape of it, Makes no difference. So you recommend to do that? I do. And I think, you know, even with, except maybe with fears of very old reds as well, because they're quite fragile. But, you know, if you have a rosé and, and even a cheap and cheerful white, easy drinking reds, you'd be amazed. It's just a little bit of effort, but it just brings the wine to life straight away for free. It takes you, what, 30 seconds. Um, and I definitely think the act of pouring and oxygenating the wine allows it to give you more aroma, flavour. So don't listen if you... Exactly. <laughs> If you have heard, you heard it here first. You know, decanting even inexpensive wines, I think, is a good move. Any other? Oh, there's, there's been a few over there. Well, I'll tell you what, there is one thing. If you really want to know if a wine's good or bad, obviously, if you like it, that's great. Even if you don't like the flavours, though, if you want to know if it's been well made, when you sip the wine, if the flavours linger for a long time after you've sipped it, a couple of beats, pretty good, a few more beats, really good, and then so on. But if you're still tasting it minutes after minutes of drinking it, that's an indication of a great quality wine. Okay. But, you know, if you have a wine that doesn't taste of much, it doesn't linger. It's not the end of the world, that's kind of- Drink more. <laughs> well, it's lunchtime sipping or it's, you know, chatting in a bar, it's not the main event. It's just kind of something else to, to keep you going. Whereas the other wines are more for contemplation, for pairing with food for an occasion. And there really is a wine for every palate and every pocket and every moment. I've always thought, people always, you know, say, oh yeah, the budget and you know, what are you eating and what do you feel like? But actually, it's the moment as well. It's a big difference between, you know, a wedding or a funeral or whatever it is, but you just think there's always an atmospheric condition, you know, there's a, sitting on the beach or are you up a mountain? What do you feel like? You know, you want a hearty warming red when it's a cold day to feel like underfloor yeah. heating for Sometimes your soul. It, yeah. or, you know, Even for me that I, I tend to like very light, fresh yeah. and bubbly well, nice. wines. Uh, Sometimes you feel like that. Sometimes you feel like oh, it would be good to taste something more intense and more dense, which with more density. Yeah. 
but I tend to fall asleep with red wine. They, they are quite rich and I think, you know... It, maybe maybe there's something related with your own biology. It could be. It's something that I certainly feel with red wines. It's almost kind of... They are meatier, they are kind of fuller and they, there's no doubt they tend also to be a little bit higher in alcohol. So that might have something to do with it. Maybe it's that. But it could be. It could be. But I do think it's important to find, you know, the great varieties. And actually it's instructive, I think, also. If you have a wine that you really don't like, you know, rather than going, oh my goodness, I can't even begin. Really read the label. Is it the grape? Could be the place. That's Could be the winemaker. Yeah. Almost pay attention more. Educate you know. yourself. Yeah, because then you'll avoid it in future. So if you think, well, and I'm sure really you understand like why maybe yeah. why is is creating that reaction in you. Exactly. Um, I heard some, and I read oh, yeah. somewhere that you like ACDC. Oh yeah. And <laughs> um, today you're going to go, you're going to a concert. I am. Also yeah. of a musician yeah. that we both love, yeah. Mark Lanegan. Gotta see him. I'm very excited. And so, what's the more rock and roll kind mm, of wine? Great question. If Iggy Pop was a wine, what would it be? <laughs> exactly. If you have to cook with ACDC at all volume, I think it's it, for me. It might be it might be Portuguese red blends from the Douro Valley because they're just so full of expression and they have this incredible balance between fragrance and spice, and that you can't miss them. I mean, they're bold Can you as well. Drink them from the bottle. I would say if you really wanted to, I wouldn't. I mean, if you're listening to Iggy Pop, what would Iggy do? Come on. I mean, what would he do? Yeah, that was one of the best gigs of my life. I saw him play at the, the Royal Albert Hall and oh my word, I've never forgotten it. I went with my friend Pat and I didn't realise actually until halfway through the gig they were filming it. So there's a live video that I bought and I was, I was so happy. I you know, spent hours watching it and finally paused and went, oh, there's me and Pat. <laughs> so exciting. But I remember after that gig, you know, we walked out and we were, we were just on another planet. And I remember saying to Pat, what are we going to do? How do we, how do we you know, how can do we celebrate yeah. this? And, and he immediately said, oh, don't worry, I know exactly what we're going to do. I know this little Italian restaurant in my neighbourhood. We're going to go, and I was like, Pat, it's nearly midnight. They're going to be closed. I went, no, no, they know me. It's fine. We walked up, knocked on the door. They were like, Pat! <laughs> Opened the door. In we went. Wine everywhere. Had a wonderful meal. We were, had oh, the best fantastic. time. Fantastic. And what, incredible. do you remember the wine? Yeah, we had a Chianti Classico, which was just a lovely Sangiovese. It was beautiful, actually. Good. And the food was fabulous. But we just couldn't stop talking about this gig. I think, I seem to remember there were kind of waiters and waitresses just standing around us, listening. We were like, oh, yeah. And then he played, oh, you wouldn't have believed it. He did a crowd surfing bit. And then, oh, he fell over. It was incredible. But the whole gig. Oh, just an amazing kind of iconic performer. In so that kind, that wine, sorry, could be one very rock and roll. Absolutely, why not? Option. Why not? It has the memories for it, certainly. Good. And if you need to impress someone on a budget, yes. what would you say? Great question. Um, I think at the moment, Eastern Europe is the place to go. Uh, I would have said Greece a few years ago, and I'm really passionate about Greek wine. Yeah. They're in local grape varieties. They're very, very characterful. I love them. Prices are creeping up a bit because people have you know, found out the secret, if you like. And I'm, I'm very happy to pay the prices because they're fair. But I would say if you're after a bargain, Romania, uh, Hungary, um, fantastic for really good quality wines. Yeah, because wines. people go less for those options, yeah, but they they probably have fantastic same you. quality than French wine or Italian wine. Hundred percent, and and don't be afraid to tr to choose the local grape varieties. If you can't understand what they mean or you haven't heard of them, buy them because they'll be really interesting. Yeah. And what's the worst that can happen? You go, mm. I didn't really like it. But if you spent you know four pounds, it's not the end of the world. It's a disappointment. But I don't think you are. I think you'll love them because the flavors are. There was this one called Fetiashka Regala, which means um, Royal Maiden or Princess. And uh, I recommended it recently. It's just over five pounds in the UK. Really? Yeah, and it won a gold medal at the Decanter Awards. It's one of these wines that, 
you just taste and think, oh, you really don't have to spend a fortune to enjoy some of the best wines in the world. You just have to know where to exactly, look. Exactly, how to move. Where and, to look, yeah. Um, what would you say are things we all believe about, about wine that are not anymore uh, currently important or you shouldn't consider Ooh. anymore? For example, I had, I had the, the idea that still, that the wines that are... Oh, the screw cap. The screw cap, yeah. you shouldn't go for them when oh, you go they're fine. Yeah. somewhere special and you want to bring a nice bottle. Oh, but you said that that's not necessarily true. I, yeah, I think um, corks are fantastic if you're aging the wine for a long time. Screw caps, I love them. And they keep the wine in perfect condition as the winemaker intended. Very convenient as well. So yeah, absolutely, don't, be, don't fear the screw cap. You know, you have some of the really prized wines. You know, I think of wines like... Um, from New Zealand particularly. Oh my word. You know Sam Neill, the actor, he was in Jurassic yeah. Park. Yeah, yeah, of course. He makes this amazing wine called Two Paddocks and it's in a screw cap, it's oh, Pinot really? Noir. And people often say to me, you know, if I really want to kind of impress someone, what, what am I going to buy? And I just think New Zealand can give you so much of that. Um, and I always say, you know, some of the greatest red Pinot Noir comes from France, from Burgundy. You co it costs a lot of money, hundreds of pounds, sometimes thousands of pounds, which for a bottle of wine is enormous. But if you buy a bottle of two paddocks Pinot Noir, that is my solid go-to impress everybody. And seriously, people just go, wow, wow. wow. Another winemaker, Mac Forbes in Yarra Valley in Australia. Whew. Any of his wines. He's an absolute icon and a total hero and also a really lovely person, which counts for a lot for me. And the, the more expensive wine you ever had and yeah. total disappointment? Oh, I've well, so that's a good question. So there is this iconic Pinot Noir called Domaine de la Romini Conti, which is, you know, supposedly one of the best Pinot Noirs in the world. And from what I've tasted, I would say that's true. It is. It does cost a lot of money per bottle. You know, it can reach thousands of pounds in, in, in good years. Um, would I spend my own money on it? Uh, it's one of those questions that it depends how much money you've got and, you know, what the occasion is. But honestly, you know, I. I said it, I would buy Sam Neill's Two Paddocks and Matt Forbes' Wurriel at Pinot Noir. And I, I think also if I'm looking for really, wine's a great character, I want to spend five pounds, I know I'd go to Eastern Europe. But I think, you know, when the, the most disappointing wine in truth that I ever had was when I, I, I was going to Chile and my youngest daughter was, I think, three. No, my eldest was three and the youngest was a baby. And I was off for, for like three months filming, maybe four. And it was the evening of going, and my wife had said to me, you must go, it's your first big job. You know, you've got to go and learn how to be a presenter, talk about wine, you can learn some more Spanish. You know, and I came back full of garabatos. It was wonderful, I was just like, yeah, so <laughs> oh, so good. But I, but I loved it, I, I had the best time. But I remember the night I went, I had this bottle of wine, and I, I, you know, I'd really saved up, because, you know, it was the beginning of our lives, beginning of my career, and I'd spent maybe 30 pounds on this bottle of wine, which was a lot of money. And I remember opening it, pouring it, and it was corked, so the cork, it had cork taint, which basically makes the wine smell and taste of cardboard, so it mm. ruined the wine. And I, I remember thinking, mm, that's a real shame, I'd really saved up for that. And my wife Sophie was like, ah, oh, gutting, you know, what are we gonna do? And I said, don't worry, I got backup. And I bought a couple of insurance policy bottles just in case. Okay, okay, that was before leaving. Before leaving, but I had a, Chile was just an eye-opening experience for me because the wine industry there was just, you know, Chile was at the time thought of as being great value and, you know, really reliable, it has a fantastic climate. You've got the glaciers in the south, the deserts in the north, you've got the Andes. Everything, you've got, the Pacific. You've got everything. And I went there and I thought, oh, this is the beginning. You know, these wines, they felt like absolute 
you know, revolutionary wines, you know, wines with flavors I'd never tasted. And I was going to corners that were just beginning like San Antonio and Lera de Valley and down in the south to Bio Bio and up in the north to Limari and Elki Valley. And I remember thinking, wow, this is, you know, I've, I've literally been from the earth to the moon and back in terms of wine yeah. terms. There's nothing that they can Amazing. do. Amazing. And, and I, I love South American wines in general. Argentinian, obviously the Malbec's incredible. But whenever I'm in Argentina, for me, it's the light. The lights of the, the place live, um, and the, the colours, the vibrancy in the people and, you know, even the clothes that I wear, you know, I mean, I, I like wearing, you know, fun clothes, but just the way it picks up, these colours, they just pop. Yeah. And the whole I thing. Mean, I mean, you feel very welcome. Everything, massively. Everything seems to be uh, easy to incorporate incorporate nothing's a problem Bec nothing yeah. is wrong because mm. everything is so heterogeneous and yeah. everything is so eclectic yeah. that everything goes well with everything and there's a great <laughs> <laughs> so true that is so true it's, it, it is just a story right. of uh, an amazing continent it, it is yeah. a continent so for me the word the, the word i would use actually is is spontaneous it's just everything yeah. in the moment you know and anything can happen and and it, very complex which yeah. is also a good word oh, yeah. for uh, yeah. to describe a good wine very which so. are which are the the words that you sometimes feel oh my god i'm gonna say this again but are <laughs> so useful when you have to describe a good wine i think complexity is probably a good one because it puts some people off but at the same time you <laughs> can say well it's there's nothing more it's nothing more than like you know a simple kind of magazine or a really kind of intriguing novel and some wines are quite simple and some wines are more mm. complex they've just got more about them more aromas more flavors you know if more you layers yeah if you exactly if you detect more than one thing it can be quite intriguing you know and it can take you on a little journey and that for sure I found an awful lot of in um, South America. My word. I mean, I think the, the idea that South America was only about good value is long gone now, thank goodness. Um, but I remember at the time just feeling so inspired, so inspired. And I couldn't wait to just tell the story. And are you going to go work? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, my birthday actually is on the 18th of September, which is Chilean National Day. So I'm are kind of... You are you are a... <laughs> I'm a Virgo. A Virgo, yeah. mm. that's why. I know. <laughs> 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 you're you're doing a... You probably have a Taurus somewhere oh, very strong because yes. they love flavours and sensations. When are they born? And when they, born? they are absolutely hedonistic. Perfect. They love life. <laughs> Um, I, th I think I've got you covered. And he went, oh, I just I think I might take her out for dinner. I said, don't do that. Go to this particular shop, spend five pounds on this half bottle of sweet wine. And it's a dessert Semillon wine from Australia. And go home with that and some blue cheese. And just look her in the eye when you walk through the door and say, I don't want to do anything tonight except just talk to you. And I want this wine with this cheese because apparently it's amazing. And the one piece of advice I did give him, I said, you might need a second bottle because it's a half bottle. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, he came back the next day. I've never seen a man so happy in his life. Really? He was like, yes, it worked. Because it's, it's just, it, he made some thought, he made some effort. He didn't want to take her out for dinner, nothing else, just wanted to reconnect. Yeah. And it was a very intense flavoured cheese, very salty. And the sweetness of the wine is a really lovely contrast and it's got a similar textural richness. Wine and cheese, why Love is it. it so perfect? I think it's the, te I do think it's the textures, but here's my other rule that I think is made to be broken. Everybody thinks red wine with cheese. I just mentioned a sweet wine with a blue cheese, but I would say white wine, more often than not, with cheese is really fantastic. Because if you think of all the flavors you serve on a cheese board, um, it's really hard to get one wine to match all the intensities, the textures, the flavors. and. You could do the liquid chutney effect, which is a tawny port or a yeah. Madeira wine. But I think white wine, you know, it's going to allow lots of the flavours to flourish. Sauvignon Blanc and goat's cheese, slam dunk pairing, everyone should try it. And that one was... What Dessert Semillon, it's called um, De Bortoli's Botrytis Semillon, it's quite a, a strange term. Uh, Dessert Semillon in Tesco's, and I think it was £5.99 at the time, probably still is. There's one in Marks and Spencer's called Hermit's Hill Botrytis Semillon, it's also fantastic. Similar thing, sweet wine from Australia, great big slab of blue cheese. Can't go wrong. Can't go wrong. Which ones are your favorite movies related with wine? Because oh. when I knew I was going to interview you, Lovely I couldn't question. not think about Sideways. Sideways. I love that movie. I love that yeah. movie. I saw that movie when it came out and I, ju I don't know, there's, there's yes. just something about the journey they go through and the kind of very masculine mm. relationship they have that yeah. it, it was like a, an amazing yeah. window open yeah it was the psychology of for me yeah talking but not talking yes yeah. Yeah. and yeah. being so connected without having to agree all the time yeah. which for a woman is something very difficult yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's i cannot love you if we don't agree with things but these guys were in oh, love that, with each other I, the thing i love as well is that the, i think it's paul Gemetti, the, the actor who's, yeah. who's just He's, he does anger so well, because I think, I didn't know him, but I imagine he's probably, you know, super nice. But I, I think he's a very talented actor, and I like him a lot in oh, billions as well. Brilliant. The way he, he almost kind of has this snarl with his teeth when he gets cross, and he looks like such a cuddly bear, and then he gets cross and starts drinking spittoons or shouting about Merlot. And it's just funny. He's a really, yeah. really talented actor, and I think that really helps. Um, but yeah, the, the kind of going behind the scenes in wine country, I think that's a, that was a lovely backdrop to that relationship. Um, and of course, when you drink wine, Inevitably, it, you enter a slightly liminal state. You enter a state which is, you know, you're, you're not drunk, but you're not quite sober. It's just you're a bit relaxed. And I think they tapped into that grey area of how we connect really well because you take it too far, it ends in disaster. But, you know, and at the end of the movie, there was a nice little thing. I, th I can't remember which wine he drinks. Is it Cheval Blanc? He's in the diner and he pours out. And the inside joke on that is he spent the whole movie saying, I won't drink Merlot. And I think from memory, there is in that particular wine, in that vintage, I think there was quite a high proportion of Merlot, so it was like an inside joke for the wine geeks. But we actually, I did that very thing. I went, uh, when I was recording my podcast, a glass with one of my guests was Pink, the, the rock star, and, and you perform it. She was just so beautiful to talk to because she makes her own wine, and uh, she's somebody who is so dynamic and so hardworking and just so curious about life, and she knows so much about wine. She's traveled widely, and she opened a fantastic bottle of Bordeaux for me when we were there and I was tasting, it was great. But the producer, I was with my friend Richard, he was behind the wheel, so he was oh, I can't taste the wine. She very kindly gave us the bottle. So we then drove back to Hollywood and went to the, the In-N-Out Burger on Hollywood Boulevard and, and he went out and I'd never forgotten this. He's a master of wine, I'm gonna tell you that, which is like a Jedi Knight of wine. He went out and got a plastic cup, poured this amazing wine into it, smuggled it into the In-N-Out, got his straw and just went, 
it's good enough for sideways, it's good enough for me. <laughs> and I loved it, I thought it was amazing. That's amazing. I think we should take that photo yes. and those glasses now that I want to talk with you about your podcast. Yes. And your podcast is called A Glass With. It is. So it's the perfect moment for me to see how I should do this. Well, there's <laughs> always, no you way. always take the bottle from from the. Oh, that's just a habit of mine. I mean, I think you know it's partly because in service you want to, if you're pouring yeah. it out, you just want people to see the label. But I, um, you know, it's just a, an old habit of mine. But of course, people, you can hold it however, however you feel comfortable. If you want to do two hands, but yeah, I tend to. But that's that's elegant. Do you, I, yeah, I do think you know just I so feel I like can, it, it yeah. is very nice. Yeah, just so and you never have to do this, right? Like yeah, if you try not to touch the glass, yeah, because the only reason is you know you might chip it or over pour or anything like that. The other thing I think people do is they tend to thank maybe you. you're more than welcome. Thank you. Um, they tend to overfill maybe and fill it right to the top. Yeah, you know I the only I did gave that a little swirl like a typical. The, is this the yeah the just roughly to where the glass starts to turn back in? You know, about a third okay. full is usually pretty good. Okay. Plenty of room for the aroma. I'm not being mean. It looks like I've been really mean on the serving. Especially but actually, the if you first, give it a swirl, you know. First try. Yeah. So all you're doing with the swirl is you're you know effectively trying to do that same thing that decanting would do in the glass. You're unleashing the smells of bells. You're giving yourself a bit more of a chance to appreciate Is this it. the proper way to take it? Because I know for, sure. for free santas oh, yeah, it's yeah. the best way. Well, I think yeah. the reason I hold it by the stem is because if you if you do hold it by the bowl, mm -hmm. uh, obviously your hand's warm. If it's a cold wine, you might warm it up. You might want to do that. You might, on a cold day, you might want to warm it up. But also it's just the finger marks thing for me because also I'm it's, constantly uh, filming wine. And so I, that's you, your vehicle <laughs> sign. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you leave finger marks and there's a close-up of the wine, it's not going to look nice. Yeah, but the it other way, look nice. a lot of a lot of people in the wine trade will hold it like that. Anyway, the, my glass is not going to look no, nice no, no, because I have lipstick. The lipstick's great. <laughs> the lipstick's great. Um, so you know, when you swirl it as well, there are these tears that come down from the side of the glass, which in the wine trade you call them legs. I don't know why the French mm. call them windows, but generally speaking, if you see those little tears coming down, if they go really, really slowly. Uh, and they're quite far apart, then that is an indication that it could be quite high in alcohol. But like this one, they're trickling down at a fair old rate. I, I don't know, but I'd say the wine's about 13.5%, you know, something like that. Um, because if it was much more boozy, they'd be sticking. Like, okay. Gelatinous, literally sticking to the side. It's oh, about the rate right. of evaporation. Those the are the wines that leave all your mouth I know, leave it with completely, that, yeah, yes, with yeah, that red. Coated. Anyway, cheers. Purple nice. cheers. Mm. Mm. Delish. Oh, I do love wine. Oh. Do you like Italian wine? I love Italian wine. I love Italy. I think this Italy, the land of poetry and song. Yeah, I, I think the great thing about Italian wines, no two are the same. There is so much diversity, not just in grape varieties, not just in places, but in the personality of the winemaker and the competition. Yeah, it's you like know? the food in that country. Oh, it's fantastic. It's so, so diverse, depending on where you go. A little bit like India, a little bit like Mexico as It's well. not one country, is it? It feels and that it, way. It, yeah. How can the food be so diverse yeah, and at right. the same time, there's um, um there's a common thing and it's that that truthful quality yeah. that that you care. One of my favourite chefs in the world is Gennaro Contaldo, who's a big star here in the UK, and he brings so much uh, truth and so much personality to his cooking, and he is a life well lived. He's somebody who is so generous in his spirit. But everything matters, you know? Yeah, little everything bit, matters. Every little it's a very serious thing. I remember, well, I remember once he, I was cooking with him in his house and uh, he made a very simple sauce and he put in some, um, just some olive oil with some garlic and some chilli and some anchovy to kind of dissolve down and some little bit of black olives and chilli. It was a nice little base for a tomato sauce that he then built up. 
And I, I was with him about a month ago and I was telling him, oh, I did that sauce, you know, and he was like, man, that must be like 15 years ago I taught you how to cook that sauce. I can't believe you remember it. And I said, but it's become part of my life, you know, I, I've cooked that a thousand times and, and not just that, you know, and then he suddenly realized the effect that he had, you know, on my life. But you imagine that multiplied. Have you had him in your program in a class with? Do you know I haven't done Gennaro? I'm totally gonna get him. Why? How did you start it? Why? Oh that was a that was actually Richard, the producer, had an idea with a friend of his to do it. And he didn't come to me first, he actually took the idea to a couple of other uh, wine commentators who weren't interested. They didn't think it was a good idea. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and he told me, we were at the pub and, and he of had Of course a, it's a good idea. I, yeah, I immediately, he, before he finished, I said, let me, yes. I, yes, I, I'm phenomenal. in. <laughs> I sit down, interview somebody famous over a glass of wine and then give them a bottle at the end. I mean, that's a great, who wouldn't We can that? interchange because yes. we, you also always have something to bring. To yeah, so they bring, they so bring they a bring bottle. something and you bring something. Yeah, uh, they bring something at the top of the show and it means something to them. So it's like, well, I brought this because I had it, you know, when I was, it was my first ever drink or because I've made it or whatever. But at the end, I'll give them a bottle from my cellar that they maybe haven't had before that, that maybe they would enjoy. So I've, I've had some amazing people. I did Sting. Sting was, I mean, Sting makes wine in Italy. Wow. I was in the south of France, actually, on holiday, and um, something came about, and I got a message through, Sting wants to do the show, uh, but he's only in Italy for another week or something, and, you know, can you go? I was like, yeah, we'll go. And I remember taking my family, and we did the recording with Trudy Steiner and Sting in their home, which is just so generous of them to, I mean, can you imagine? But that's what wine does, you know, people welcome you in and their wine by the way was fantastic i really enjoyed it was and it, I loved good? it it was, was really it good? good yeah and it's always a moment but he was so funny because he said you know celebrity wine it's got quite a low benchmark so i really want to kind of make something amazing and i loved it and then that evening they said come to we're having a pizza party for you know people who work in the estate bring the family come down what a lovely bunch of people and i went along and my kids i'll never forget it my youngest she just nudged me and went which one's staying i went the one that everyone's crowding around she went yeah i don't recognize him but I recognise her because she's in Friends. And so Trudy Styler to her was like, wow. And yeah. she, she was fantastic as well. She just directed a movie that I'd watched. And I think that couple actually, when you think of the dy dynamism of them, both making is wine. Is it real? It's all real? It's, the it the real. connection, it's, the, yeah. oh, the, well, the cooperation between them? They are fantastic. Yeah. There's no doubt. I mean, they're deeply in love and they really were, um, yeah, deeply impressive to be around. But um, I came away thinking, wow, you just got to reach reach the stars, you know, then pull Andromeda out of the sky and How many seasons have you done? I think it's seven. I think, we're doing, I think we're doing season eight in January. I'm not allowed to reveal which guests, but um, I, one guest I'm quite excited about, who's uh, an actor who's recently been in London, who, who who's uh, a tradition of playing Hollywood villains. And it's quite kind of, not creepy himself, but- William the Dafoe? Oh, it's very close. So the, <laughs> the roles- it's remarkably close, but the, the roles that this person plays have always been kind of quite mysterious and menacing. So I'm, I'm very intrigued to meet this person yeah. and have a glass of wine. But the people you actually meet, you know, they're like anyone else. It's a privilege to, to spend half an hour in their company. But, but actually, the cues and the kind of connections are, are very similar. You know, they're usually professionally driven. Um, but in terms of wine, you, you really notice well, you a few never... steps in. They, they relax. Sorry, yeah, it yeah. just came... Were you never scared that when two people with a strong passion get together, it leaves everyone Good question. out? Because you know, when yeah. when two very mm. into something people get together, yeah. if you are not exactly at the same same level, you can, leave you can feel a bit... I think you're right. I think with, I've out. always sort of felt with wine to try and speak about it in a way that 
you know, anyone who's interested Inclusive. in wine would understand, but anyone who's new to wine, they would listen to it, not necessarily for the wine, but for the show. You know, the vibe of the show. And, and at the end, you know, I always ask these silly quick fire questions as well. So usually we start with wine and quite quickly, actually, it goes off wherever they want to take it because... I mean, Sting was telling me. I you. love those questions you do. The quick fires, they're yes. fun, aren't they? And I'm, I'm going to do something similar with you, but not those. Okay, fine. Are you familiar with the Prost questionnaire? Oh, yeah, go on then. He, it's a very well-known questionnaire because right. he answered that questionnaire twice in his life, really? in different periods of his life. Okay. And I don't know why it had become something that many interviewers take some time to... to. So. Right. It's good also to I'll be, I'll be approach your psychology from another yeah. perspective. Yes. What's your favorite virtue? Virtue? Oh, that's a good question. I've, I mean, I'm immediately reaching for kindness because I think it's a catch-all um, and it encompasses, you know, whether you're going to feed someone who's hungry or look after a, uh, you know, an animal that's gone stray or whatever it is or nurture a plant. It can be on a big scale or a small scale, but you can apply it to anything in your, you know, if you're in your work, if you're, you know, working for a big industry, there's always room for more kindness. So I would say if it counts as a virtue, I would, choose, does, kind oh, well, I would choose kindness, definitely then, because even if you have, even if you're in a terrible situation, you can be kind, you know, you can still find the room for kindness. And I think the more room you find for it, you know, if even if it's a little bit, you know, if everyone did that, it would just, oh, like, like bubbles in a glass of fizz, we all rise. Yeah. Your worst misery? I think it's got to be the loss of somebody you love, hasn't it? It's got to be when somebody vacates the planet. Um, that's always, always very sad. And there's been so many lately. I mean, big names a lot of people will, will know about, obviously. I remember when David Bowie died and I had this terrible day because, you know, I was sad that he died, of course. I didn't know him, but I was sad because it's, I, I felt, remember that day as well. I felt that he could have performed more and we would have learned more and there was more to share. So it's always, you know, you, you're never guaranteed another day in life. So it's always going to happen. But I think it's okay to feel, you know, this is, I, I'm sad about that. But my daughter, Lily, was the, you know, she was, I think she was about eight at the time, but she was a big fan. She was the Bowie person in our family. She, she was, she basically introduced me to a lot of Bowie. Yeah, and I, I was thinking all day, got to pick her up from school. I'm going to have to tell her. And, and I know this is going to be a difficult time. Um, and I picked her up from school and she went, it's okay, Dad, you don't have to tell me. I know I Bowie's know. dead. And I was like, oh, wow, okay. Yeah, of course, so, you know everything now. Yeah, but it was just... It was, it, was, it was an interesting moment for that reason that she was so plugged into the world, but also that she'd already begun to process. And then we had a long conversation. She was actually taking care of you. I think that was, yeah. <laughs> like, she don't worry, she that, I already yeah. know. Yeah. So there, she, her, virtue, here. her virtue was kindness in there. She was literally like, are we, yeah, I remember. But it makes sense that loss, someone like you that yeah. feels so lively and yeah. alive, he you have you you are kind of scared about that yeah 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 because you know it, it's we're all transient we pass through and the cast list changes all the time new people coming in people vacating the planet that is part of who we are but but i think nonetheless you know i look, I look back very fondly on my memories of people i've known and loved um but it's it's human i think to to wish i tell you the sort of not an antidote to it but something conversely that i take great joy out of is that people who are long dead who i've never met you can you can't communicate with them, but you can learn through what they've left behind, whether it's an action or a you know piece of literature, some music, and I love that about the interconnectedness of us with each other through time as through well as time, today, yeah. but through time we can through we can enmesh. creation. Yes. Um, your favorite 
quality of a woman on a woman wow i'm going for kindness straight away again it's just so boring but it's true <laughs> well look my i'm my uh, wife sophie i'm her biggest fan because she's she's in all, in all seriousness um she's the most giving selfless person i've ever met she's also incredibly funny and just utterly devoted to other people most notably our two children but then she will always put everyone else first so i would say a sense of selflessness she's ridiculously amazing like that but she's also so strong and ridiculously powerful and she you she's incredibly sexy all of those <laughs> yeah she's she's absolutely beautiful and always has been we were at school together but she gets more beautiful i think as, as with how does it happen to all of us i think so no i, I genuinely do believe that because you can you know you there's so much that's changed but there's so much that's true and especially if there is real connection and yeah that's the way you see so it. i love i do i love all of those qualities about her but I, i love also most of all that she shines you know she brings she lights up the room you know she walks in and everyone wants to have a party your favorite fictional character oh it might, might be me <laughs> 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 okay that, that's a really good question um i Oh, that's a, such a good question. It's such a tricky one because I'm I'm scrambling know. between books and movies, and I think I'm probably going to just immediately veer one way or the other to make the it easy. The one that came first. The one that came first, weirdly, is is Randall, who's a character in Time Bandits by Terry Gilliam, and he's a very flawed leader. Um, um, but ultimately, he he comes off pretty well. He's ultimately he comes good. Um, but the reason I really I really like him is because he's funny um, in his pomposity. So he's the leader of this gang of criminals. Um, in a kids movie and there's one line he says um, he, he says to another one who's threatening him he says do you want to be leader no we agreed no leader right so shut up and do as I say and I remember just thinking it's the most ludicrous <laughs> it's probably something you have never silly. said to anyone I would never say in your entire no, life never. that's why but I, I, I the actor actually tragically I, I'm pretty sure it's David Rappaport and I'm pretty sure he killed himself under the Hollywood sign which is a mm. really sad tragic ending to that life but I do I am drawn to the character of Randall in Time Bandits by Terry Gilliam and I um I'm going to think long and hard about why after this interview but that's a magnificent question. If not yourself, who would you have um be? Well, there's two answers to that. Nelson Mandela is immediately the person I probably admire most for the impact he had on delivering, you know, just the, the most lovely human message. Um but selfishly I'd quite like to walk around like John Boyega for a day because he's just really handsome and he's really fit. <laughs> So <laughs> that would be good, right? If you can blend those two, and I could those just, two, you know, exactly. maybe Mandela's soul, but no, I like them both. Maybe I mean, Joe, those amazing things in the future but, as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I would. I was fascinated. I was listening to uh, somebody who interviewed Mandela, the first interview when he came out of of jail, a guy called Trevor McDonald, who who we had on our, on Saturday Kitchen recently, and he was amazing. Oh, he's such a beautiful man. You you know, I just. The way he spoke of meeting Mandela as well, when he said, "I put a microphone, lapel mic, went to go and do that," and Mandela was like, "Well, what's that?" And because he'd been in jail for so long, microphones used to be this big, and suddenly they were this big. And he, he, Trevor McDonald was thinking, "Well, how? That's hu a huge conceptual leap. Yeah. How is he going to react to what's his message going to be? And when his message was of love and reconciliation, I mean, who, who seriously? Who goes through that? And and turns to the people who's incarcerated after them, all and says my my brothers my no, sisters no no you you really need a, I mean um, he's an amazing you know saintly person human dimension yeah. inside of you growing growing and growing and and there's no other way to yeah. to not 
live as an experience like that, full of resentment. Absolutely, and he left that at the door, seemingly, or at least yeah. he incorporated it into his philosophy. And yeah, he's well. The big message I think for all of you with things like that is that forgiveness is yeah. for you. Oh, well said. It's not. It's for all of us, isn't it's it? For it's for you. And then you can be beneficial. Your yeah. best. Yeah. Then you can do amazing things like. Well said. Uh, your favorite hero, uh, heroine for fi on fiction, on a fictional story. Oh, so uh, it, it, there's a silly reason and a good reason for this, um, but but I'm going to say Wonder Woman in the latest movie because I love that. I love the movie. <laughs> but, but literally everyone who's watched it, who knows my wife, has said I, I had no idea you were in the movie because they all literally she looks a bit like it, but but. Literally, that's that's how I feel about my wife. I just think she's Wonder Woman. That's amazing. So, I love her. Right there. Yeah. I love her. Yeah. And your favorite poets? Several. Uh, John Clare, probably, overall. Um, I love Horace, the ancient Roman poet. I love Harry Ayer's translations of Horace. But the poet I probably come back to and read most is John Clare because he writes beautifully. He was in the 17th century and he writes, or 1700s, I should say, writes beautifully about nature and about the freedom and accessibility of being able to roam, to dream, to engage with the natural world. And he was living in a time when the land was being enclosed by laws, so ownership was changing and it was being hemmed in. And it affected his psychology quite dramatically as he grew older. And, and he ended up in a, a lunatic asylum writing poems. Wow. But was kind of cared for by one of the senior people there who preserved his poetry. And when I read his poetry, I think, I, I'm not sure he was insane I, yeah. I think he was living in an impossible time for him and I love his poetry because it's very personal but it's very much recognizable you can go out into any field and, and more, the more personal the more universal they yeah say. oh yeah. that's brilliant as well yes yeah. yes so John Clare I would say and um, your favorite flower to finish Oh, I'm very keen on daisies. Um, I love daisies yeah, too! Just, they are so fresh yeah. and so genuine. Yeah. Like really not very pre not pretentious at all, but yeah. so lovely. And they're, <laughs> they're there. Yeah, when they're you need everywhere. Them. Yes. Yeah, they're there when you need them. Daisies. Well, that's that's all. Thank you so much. I love this. <laughs> can I give yeah, you this? Yeah, of course you can. You're amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I've had a... Oh my oh, God. Oh, we've made, thank you. We've thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Oh. Don't worry. We'll, we'll get it out. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you.